Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, October 4th, 2021. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. How are things going, Alex? Summer has ended. I think we've almost hit winter. <laughs> well, I guess uh, I got to know, you got to keep us posted as to how your slow gin is coming and how long is that going to take to be ready to keep you warm in the winter? <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a couple of months yeah, yet, unfortunately. And I'm not going to ask you any questions about football um, because I know there was a match last week that probably didn't go your way. I don't really follow it though, so I um, try not to, <laughs> to, to spend too much time on it. But uh, otherwise, what's going on in the NBA universe? Yeah, I mean, this upcoming week, we're still getting a few round one deadlines. Um, Anderson and Foster have round one deadlines this week. Columbia has its early decision deadline um, this week, October 6th. And also Darden and and Goizada, they have round one deadlines. We might be hearing from Harvard Business School in terms of interview invites. I've not seen anything come out yet from their um, blog, which is usually where they announce when those um, interview invites are coming out. But surely when this podcast airs on Monday, that may well have occurred. So folks, keep an eye out for those interview invite dates for Harvard. Yeah, historically, this has been the week that they come out. Um, but as we record, they have yet to announce it, which maybe they'll do so today. You know, we'll, we'll find out. But um, in terms of, you know, for our podcast listeners, yeah, it should be this week. We will see. Maybe they need an extra week because they had too many applications. Who knows? But Don't we, we be frightening everybody, Graham. <laughs> Don't be frightening everybody. I know, I know. <laughs> um, over on the website, we've been um, continuing to run those stories about the class profiles. Uh, And we did one for Michigan and one for NYU. You know, these schools share their class profile, which I mean, I know as an applicant, I always used to want to see like, what am I, what am I up against? What's the last class that's been admitted look like? And so with Michigan, um, there was a nice quote from uh, Sujin, who's the um, Dean of Admissions over there. And she said, the class of 23 has broken nearly all our admissions records after being selected from what was our most competitive applicant pool ever. We're incredibly excited to have these accomplished and talented students as a part of our full-time MBA program in our Michigan Ross community. And the reason she's saying that is because, you know, they had 28% international, which was up from 18% the year prior, which was a low number because of COVID. Um, But even, you know, GMAT score, 722 was their average, which is a a record. And then 3.5 was the average GPA, also a record for them. 46% women, which is up a couple of ticks from last year. So, you know, all numbers that Ross is clearly really proud of. And, you know, it's pretty amazing to see, um, you know, how competitive it is now. Um, and the same thing was true if you read our NYU profile. You know, um, they, they just, again, you know, 32% international, 41% women. Um, they actually had 10% military, um, which was doubled from the prior year. So a lot of military folks went to NYU. Um, and their average GMAT was 729, and the GPA is a 3.6. So... Again, another you know pretty impressive class profile. So it seems like schools had had their pick of the litter last year, at least. We'll see how things shake out this year. These average GMAT scores are frankly frightening, aren't they? And I do wonder to what extent, if a school is allowing folks to submit other tests, because I believe both Ross and Stern allow you to submit um, other tests. I think even like an LSAT score an executive assessment. It varies from school to school, but I know that those are two schools that 
allowed you to waive, um, or at least I think Ross allowed you to waive, and CERN allows you to submit other tests. And so I wonder to what extent what we're really just seeing is a rising GMAT score average because there are actually fewer scores being submitted and the ones that are, you know, people who do submit it are the ones with the good scores. So I, I don't know what's going on there. It has to have an impact, Graham. It's got to, right? Yeah. Even, you don't have to know a lot about statistics to recognize that that has to have an impact, whether it's a large impact or or a marginal impact, obviously we don't know. But certainly if a few, a smaller percentage of the admitted class is taking the test and has options to take other tests instead or waive the test, then you would assume that those fewer folks that are taking the test are predominantly the folks that are doing well in the test. Yeah, I think. I don't know if yeah. I said that in English correctly, <laughs> but you get what I'm Totally. Yeah. And I think um, the GRE is also playing a role in this too, because while schools do report average GREs to an extent, and I, I don't have these in front of me for, for these two programs, but you know that's an increasingly large number of students as well. And so, yeah, I think um, there's definitely something going on with GMAT scores. That's, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think it would be good if schools reported the percent of admitted students that took or reported the GMAT test. I agree. That would be really fascinating to see. Um, but anyway, you can check out those profiles. We, we put them up as schools release their class profiles. I know we've done a whole bunch of schools already this year. Um, so just stay tuned on the website for that. Um, I love going over those numbers. Um, another thing I wanted to mention is we are now, you know, as people apply in round one, we're getting into interview season. You know, we're already seeing some schools like Yale and um, Kellogg and, and others, you know, offer interview invitations. We're also, you know, as we said, Harvard might start giving them out any day now. And, and so we kind of shift gears. If you're a round one applicant, you're starting to shift gears and think about the interview process. And I just wanted to mention, we, we have a lot of resources that can help you with your interviews. Um, the first thing is we have this archive on our website that is filled with interview reports from real candidates who went and had an interview. So it's a great resource. You can find all the questions that are asked and, and what people felt about their interview. So I encourage people to check out the interview archive. It's organized by school. You can sort. You can find all the recent reports and stuff from last season. How long have we? How long we've been running that archive, Graham? You know, I, I don't. Even, it's been a long time, more than ten years. Um, and I think it's whose idea was it? Uh, you know, I have no idea. <laughs> no, it was it was yours, Alex. And and I think um, for people who yeah, it's are fantastic. Yeah, and yeah. it was really cool. Yeah. Originally, we set it up as a wiki as a way for people to kind of share information, and then we just sort of ported it into kind of blog entries where people could upload the reports in real time. And it's been a phenomenal success. It's the largest repository of interview questions on the internet for business school. So we're excited about that. Um, the other thing that I, I'm going to make a shameless plug: we actually sell interview guides. I know, Alex, you spend quite a bit of time with our um, publications editor and chief, uh, Lauren, um, on these every year. But we put out a handful of interview guides for the top MBA programs. And what we do in there is we show you the questions that they're likely to ask, but we also provide information on how you want to think about responding to those questions. And we also provide a lot of context about what is what, what type of interview are you going to get from this school and um, you know, what percentage of people are they interviewing and how important is the interview and all that kind of good stuff that when you're waiting to interview, you want to know. Um, we talk about who, you know, what kind of person does the interviews at these schools. Is it alumni, students, um, et cetera? So 
those are really good and they're pretty cheap. I think they're like 1999 or something. And so if someone told me, I mean, I wish that we had them when I was interviewing because I would have um, killed to have a guide with like all the questions that I might expect to see and how to approach them. So you can buy those on our website. We rarely tell you to buy anything. So I'm just going to put that out there. But if you get an interview invitation, use one of our interview guides. They'll be really helpful. Very good. Uh, other than that, before we get into the wiretaps portion, which we have a special kind of feature today, it's going to be kind of interesting. Um, I wanted to say that I, I did sit down with Donna Swinford from Chicago Booth, and we aired that podcast last week. So if you're someone who comes regularly on Mondays to listen to wiretaps, you may have missed it. It came out, I think, on Wednesday of last week, but you can tune in. Had a great conversation with Donna um, about you know Booth and why they don't have word limits on their essays and all kinds of fun stuff. So um, check that out if you can. And then the last thing I'll say is we've got a, um, an event this week on Wednesday. I'm going to be emceeing a roundtable discussion with the deans of admissions from Stanford, Chicago Booth, NYU Stern, LBS, and INSEAD. Um, it's not only an amazing group of schools, but um, for one reason or another, they're all sending their kind of top person to our event, um, which I presume is just because our events are so incredibly awesome. But we're going to have like Kirsten Moss. Um, and, uh, and Donna Swinford from, from Booth and, um, you know, the whole gang is coming and it's going to be a lot of fun. And so I encourage people to sign up for that if they haven't already at bit.ly forward slash essay event series. Is David Simpson coming from LBS? Yeah. And Virginie uh, Fougère from well, the, Insta. I'm not worried about Virginie. You tell David <laughs> to respond to my email, please. <laughs> Get in line. Ah, he that's owes all me... I'm saying on that one. All right. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to, because he owes me an email too. He's really terrible about his email, I guess. Yeah. I got to nudge him. Yeah. <laughs> and joking apart, th this session should be um, fantastic for whatever reasons. It's the first time we've got Stanford to sit down and talk directly about their essays. And as listeners know, I'm a huge, huge fan of the Stanford um, main essay. So it will be super interesting to listen to all of that. I mean, obviously LBS in Seattle and Chicago and whatever, but yeah, I'm really excited for, for, for this event. Yeah, it should be fun. Um, and then obviously we still do our Thursdays at noon on Clubhouse for people who want to hang out with us and chat. Um, and yeah, you picked out a couple of... Um, apply wire entries and we have one rankings wire entry that we're going to talk about today too is a kind of special thing. Um, I did want to mention we got a really sweet email um, from someone and I'm just going to read a little bit. Um, this is kind of like listener mail and they just wrote um, almost exactly a year ago I decided to apply to business school. I studied music in college and had been a teacher the majority of my life so I was completely lost when it came to applications. Listening to wiretaps every day was a huge help for me, um, and it gave me the confidence to apply to a variety of programs and help me craft my application in ways I hadn't thought of before. I entered the process feeling lost and confused, but because of your guidance, I came out on the other end feeling entirely more confident about myself and my journey. I'm thrilled to share with you that I'm currently at, I'm just going to say a top, top 10 MBA program, um, having an incredible time, and I'm honored to be here and I'm working towards helping others uh, in business succeed and hope to pass along everything I've learned from you both in my time here in business school. Um, thanks again. I wish you both the best. So that was a really nice letter. I kind of had to, ch I didn't, um, <laughs> I didn't want to reveal where this person's at school and stuff because I, they send us that email um, just directly. And so I just want to make sure that I'm, um, you know, respecting their privacy, but I was really touched by that. And um, Alex, just so cool to hear that we were able to kind of light the path a little bit for someone as they were 
traveling along this journey. That's why we do this kind of work, quite frankly. When I read that um, email, I was, yeah, that, that's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, agreed. Um, if you want to send us mail, you can always write to us at info at clearadmit.com. Graham, we want to review, not mail, review, review. What? We want to review. Oh, right. Well, we do want reviews too. But I also, I don't mind when people send us emails. I didn't know what you, I thought you were talking about. You mean podcast reviews. Yes, we're always open to people reviewing the podcast. Um, but the emails are nice too for people who are less, a little yeah. more shy. <laughs> um, all right, let's move on though, because we've got a couple of candidates to go through. Um, so this is going to be Wiretaps candidate number one. So this candidate is applying to three schools, um, and they're applying now um, to start next fall. The schools are Harvard, Kellogg, and Stanford. This person's been working as a client performance and client reporting analyst um, in the financial services field. And post MBA, they want to get into asset management. Um, and you know, they've got some companies on the list. Um, pretty specific um, companies. There's. Uh, Newberger, Berman, which I'm not familiar with. I'm just not a finance person. So, um, and they also mentioned other. So they've got some companies they're targeting in asset management. GMAT score, 770. So kind of off the charts there. GPA, 2.6. And they have five years of work experience. They're located in the USA, and they would love to land in New York City after business school. Um, they mentioned in the notes that they trained for the 2016 Olympic uh, trials uh, as a double sport athlete. They were also a double sport athlete in college. They were ranked in the top 16 um, in shot put for NC, and they were also NCAA athlete of the decade. They were um, on the track and field team, athlete of the year. I mean, this was a big time sports person. Um, and it sounds like some injuries derailed their kind of Olympic run. Um, but in any event, the other thing they mentioned is they're African American and that they are first generation graduate from university. So, um, Alex, you had some dialogue with this candidate, and, and so did I on the site. So what, what do you make of this? Because you have like the 770 on the one hand, but then you've got this 26 GPA, um, but they're a pretty interesting candidate in terms of, you know, sports and Olympic type stuff. So what do you, where do you, what do you sort of peg their odds? I mean, they have some very top schools on the list. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to do, do their odds um, specifically. <laughs> no, not as a percentage. Um, <laughs> we don't do that. Nah, no, I'm not going to do that. I, I do think this candidate can be at whichever school they choose. And I emphasize the word can. It's all about app execution in my book. So here we have a first generation person going to college, African-American, um, clearly focused their early part of their college on their athletic pursuits, clearly extremely successful at it. Um, if, you, if you're sort of, you know, if you're an Olympian or, or training for the Olympics or whatever it might be, the, 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 what you've got to do to dedicate yourself for that endeavor, I'm sure, is, 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 is phenomenal, right? Um, so that's all really very good. The, the the harm to it all was obviously their GPA, 2.6 GPA um, by the time they graduated. Um, so, 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 so they pay, paid, paid the price a little bit for that. And obviously they couldn't pursue their, their athletic in, endeavors in the long run because of injuries. And, and we, we've, seen, we've seen this um, in, in a few instances, I think, with candidates. So, so they've had to divert their, their sort of career and life plan 
they were obviously as a first generation person going to college using athletics to quite frankly Graham improve their their lot in life right to really sort of try to put themselves on on a, on a different sort of um, um, level of opportunity I, I, I can't empathize for that I don't have that that experience but but I can really understand why they solely focused on athletics and why that ultimately harmed their GPA now as a since then they've obviously um, ha- had to change their careers they, they've gone I think they've done quite well in their career it's a little bit unclear to me in terms of what the substances of their their sort of asset management career is um but but nevertheless they've done well and they've taken the gmat and scored a 770 right so if you get a 770 on the gmat graham you're smart i don't care what anyone says to 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 be able to accomplish a score like that is ridiculous so fantastic for them now the reason why i reinforce this notion this candidate could or or potentially could be at a very very top school is what they do now in terms of their apps i'm a big believer if this candidate also took hbs online or mba math really showed that they're dedicated to to their academic pursuits now uh, which they certainly didn't do during their undergrad um then i'm like yes maybe the very best school is going to say you know what come to us because clearly you've you've got a lot going for you. Um, my concern is if they don't do the HBS core or MBA math, they could come across as a candidate that's absolutely got the smarts to be successful in our program, but do they have the dedication over the two-year period to commit to the academics of our program? Clearly, they're going to commit to something, but it could all all be extracurricular pursuits, career management pursuits, and we might see them lapsing in the academics. So that's where my one bit of advice, please, whomever you are, do something that shows that you have the dedication for the academic pursuit, because you've already shown me that you're wicked smart. You've shown me Lots of other really cool stuff, but I'm a bit queasy about that one aspect. Yeah, and I, I could not agree more. I think this person um, has a ton of potential and could probably go wherever they want to go if they put together the right application and, and effort into the process. I had a, a few quick tidbits. Number one, their job. They say, I currently work at a top asset management firm supporting portfolio management building reports and presentations for client meetings. So it sounds like their job isn't so much on the, you know, kind of financial modeling side or, or finance side, really, in, in so much as it maybe it's more about building reports and presentations. So maybe more of a supporting role. Hard, hard to know. It's kind of not 100% clear. Um, and so that may not be the sort of traditional path um, that you would see someone coming. Um, you know, it, it's hard to know. I guess I, that was just one little question mark I had is like, what, What's the um, quantitative, you know, rigor of the current job they have, um, given they have these kind of finance goals? And then the other thing is, you know, this GPA, I could not agree more. You know, as you say, the, the GMAT's like a snapshot, which tells us this person's super bright. They, they you know, worked hard and, and did the exam, um, whereas the GPA is kind of a long, the, sort of the marathon, right? And so I think that's where MBA math or HBS score online 
could help them. I like your I, I do like your athletic um, analogy yeah. there. Yeah. I think this person will get that. <laughs> it's right, cause, so it's the sprint versus the marathon. But I think one of the things that is concerning sometimes when you're an admissions reader is you're looking for evidence that the person can last for the marathon that is even the first semester or the first year of business school, which is incredibly rigorous. So that's where doing one of these courses might help their case. The last thing, I want to put you on the spot. Um, their target schools, they want to work in asset management, right? Their target schools, as I said, were Harvard, Stanford, and Kellogg. Um, and they want to work in New York in asset management. And so I couldn't, I would be remiss if I did not at least bring up the idea that um, Columbia and Wharton could probably land them those jobs in New York in asset management um, quite capably. And I, I just wondered, like, why were they not on the list? Because frankly, you know, you could argue that they might even be better for that specific type of work um, post MBA. So I don't, what do you think about that? Did that occur to you? Like, I just was a little struck by the school selection. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I didn't even look at, I didn't even look at their school selection, honestly, Graham, because I, I do think with the right execution and the right sort of uh, moves now, i.e. doing this additional coursework, that they can get access to whichever program they choose. So, but yeah, why not um, Wharton or, or, or Columbia? Yeah, for sure. agreed. So anyway, we, we will see. Um, I would encourage this person to look into, um, you know, the investing club at Columbia and to touch base with some Wharton people too. I mean, and obviously, as we said, do one of these um, MBA prep kind of math um, courses to show dedication and a long-term commitment to being ready for business school. That will help combat this GPA issue. Um, so let's move on, though. And I want to thank that person for sharing their post. Very interesting and um, very cool profile. Again, I think they can write their ticket, but they got to tick some boxes here and, and get some stuff done in order to make it all happen. And and hat tip to them for that 770G, map because that <laughs> yeah. really does put them on a different planet, quite frankly. Right. And that's exactly what we always talk about. It's like, well, if you have a, a, a you know, if you got to do GPA repair, well, first thing is hit the GMAT out of the park. And so this is sort of the grand slam of, of GMAT results. Um, in any event, let's move on and talk about wiretaps candidate number two. So this is another apply wire entry. And this candidate's got five schools on the target list. They are Berkeley, Cornell, Dartmouth, Duke, and Yale. They want to start business school next fall. They've been working in what they describe as demand generation and marketing um, pre-MBA here. And post-MBA, they'd love to get into tech and work with Amazon, Apple, Google, or Microsoft. GMAT score is a 700, and the GPA is a 3.1. They've been working for three years. They're located in Canada, and they would love to land in California. They did note that um, they said, hi, Graham and Alex, love the show. Um, so they enjoy listening to the podcast, um, which is probably why you picked, <laughs> picked them, Alex. And then we've got, uh, they did offer some additional comments. They said they're going to try to take the GMAT again, even though they've already applied for these schools in the first round. Um, they just are worried that they're leaving something on the table there. So I'll be curious to get your thoughts on that. They also said that they did a master's um, in a quantitative master's program. They didn't say what it was, and I was kind of curious about that, but um, they had a 3-7 in that, so they're wondering how that helps to weigh against the 3-1 from undergrad. And they mentioned that as an undergraduate, they were a college basketball player, um, and I think they were like, you know, varsity for a probably NCAA type, you know, <laughs> basketball situation. Um, but Alex, yeah, what do you make of this person? Because, you know, they have some 
issues with the GPA, but they do have that really high master's GPA, and then the, you know the GMAT's a little kind of average, and they're wondering about a retake there. So what do you make of like what 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 would you tell this person? And they've already submitted. So what's the best path forward for them? Yeah, the, I, I, this candidate's interesting in my book. I believe this can the real substance and the quality of this candidacy probably lies within their work experience and their extracurricular activities. So if I read that correctly. Um, and they can really show um, progression in their work experience, show impact over the last two, three years or whatever it might be, and so on and so forth, as well as showing their real engagement outside of work. They're, they're on the board of a couple of non-profits. They're doing weekly volunteer work and doing some interesting things. To me, that's the strength of the candidacy. Um, and, you know, that might sort of you know, position them to target some of these these programs. They're essentially targeting sort of between top 10, top 16 um, type programs. Um, now, if you look at the, the, the counting stats, I think that's what you refer them to, Graham. I, I forget how the phrase that you use, but I do actually really like it. The, 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 the GMAT at 700, the undergraduate GPA at 3.1, that's a little ho-hum. That might make you think, well, actually, maybe they're um, reaching a little bit looking at these top 10 to 16 programs, but they may retake the GMAT, even if it's after the deadline. I think that's still a smart thing to do, especially if they've got a bit of a round two strategy uh, in their back pocket too. And if they were able to push that score up, maybe 20 or 30 points, maybe then the GMAT more aligns with the quality of their work experience and their extracurricular activities, that sort of overall elevating the candidacy a little bit. Their 3-1 GPA is complemented by um, this, this additional um, master's degree at 3-7 that shows a lot of quant coursework, so that can help there, um, potentially. Um, so, so at the end of the day, Graham, I think a lot does rely on them really having quality work experience, which they claim to have, and then it would be backed up by strong recs and so on and so forth. Um, obviously, they're going to hear pretty soon interview invites, uh, you know, how they do in that regard. They can start thinking about round two. And, and basically, they said, you know, if, we, if I blank out um, in, in um, round one, then I'm going to look at Anderson, Kellogg, Marshall and Darden in round two. They are targeting being on the West Coast. So that's why Anderson and, and Marshall certainly in the mix there. But I would argue even if they don't blank out in round one, the might, some of these schools might be a better fit for them in round two anyway, like Kellogg or Anderson, if they are targeting being on the West Coast. Yeah, I agree. I think um, one of the things we didn't talk about with our first candidate and that I think applies to this candidate as well is, you know, both candidates are going to need to use the optional essay to explain their GPA. Right. And so in the case of the first candidate, it's going to be about, you know, they, they were trying to be, be an Olympian. And so they clearly um, it's a sports thing. And I think that's true here, too. Right. This person was a college basketball player. They probably, um, you know, were, were really focused on that. And that may um, have had an impact on their GPA. They probably were traveling. I mean, who knows what, you know, it's, it can be incredibly demanding. So I think both candidates need to use the optional essay. In the case of this candidate, I think the optional essay needs to explain you know, not only were they busy with basketball, um, but they've since gone off and gotten a master's in, I mean, I don't know what it is, but it's a quantitative subject. Maybe it's a tech-related master's. I don't know. Um, and, and performed really well, you know, the 3-7. And, and so hopefully 
they can explain that. Um, again, I would feel better with a higher GMAT score, so I'm glad to hear they're taking it again. I hope that they will provide that new score to their round one schools. Some schools won't take it, or you know, every school has its own policy, but I think it's always worth reading the fine print and seeing whether you can submit an updated score. Obviously, if you get an invitation to interview, showing up with that new score, getting them to add it to your file, that, that's a great opportunity. Sometimes if you don't get the new score until like long after the interview, it starts to get a little late in the game because you want as many readers of your file to see that new score as possible. Um, so I wouldn't leave it to the last minute, but getting a better score would be good. Um, and I did want to mention, you know, you talked about their work experience, and I think you're, what you're keying off of is they said they've been working at a fast-scaling tech company for three years with four promotions and a track record of excellence and increased responsibility. Uh, they say, I am now in management. They're also on the board of two different nonprofits, and they volunteer weekly at both foundations. So this is an active person, good ECs, good work experience. Um, I could say great work experience. And so I'm, I'm really rooting for them to, um, you know, hopefully they put together a good file. Hopefully they'll get a, maybe a, a slightly higher result on the GMAT. Um, but again, I think they're in the right, they're fishing in the right, you know, pond here. I don't, I don't think they need to really adjust. I just, um, you know, feel like they're going to know a lot when they see whether they start to get interview invitations from the likes of Haas or, or Johnson um, you know, or, or Yale. I mean, Yale, they, you know, Yale started to give them out already. So we'll start to see. Um, but interesting candidacy. And again, I, I don't know if this was on purpose, but both of our candidates so far today have had this issue of low GPA and it's sort of sports related. And, you know, I will say schools understand that, like being on a varsity sport or pursuing the Olympics, they know that that can be incredibly time consuming. You just have to make sure you spell it out in the optional essay too. Yeah, no, I think that's a very good point, the use of the optional essay. We did neglect discussing that for, for our first candidate, so yeah. hopefully they're still listening. <laughs> <laughs> they might have turned off, yeah, after, like most yeah. of our listeners, yeah, they probably are, you know, does anyone listen all the way through? I don't even know. <laughs> um, but the other thing I was going to say is that um, I wanted to ask you, does it matter that this guy's Canadian? Like, when you were at Wharton reading files, like, did you view Canadians, like, wh where do they fall, like, in terms of, um, I mean, I think the undergrad must have been in the U.S. since they gave us a 3-1 GPA and didn't mention otherwise, but... Would it change your point of view if you knew that that undergrad was in Canada? Or, or does their Canadian citizenship, citizenship matter at all in this equation here? I don't know the, the, the necessarily the impact of, of them being Canadian, other than, it, you know, they're nice people in Canada. I, I've lived <laughs> there for a couple of years. So, Not to stereotype um, or anything. <laughs> I know, but that's why I felt a little, um, a little nervous actually just mentioning that in this, in our, in this world in which we now live. But... Um, but yeah, no, does it matter? It might matter if it's part of their story, right? So any time, like, you know, there's, there's, there's an element of the application that's, you know, of your profile that ultimately is a part of your story, then it does matter. Yeah, um, I agree. So, but it depends sort of how you weave it into your story, how it's truly impacted um, you and, and so on and so forth. I don't think it's a huge issue being Canadian relative to the U.S. schools versus if you're, you know, obviously from Africa or from China or from Russia or, you know, other parts of the world. Yeah, I think um, it would be interesting to know if that undergrad was in a Canadian school because that might explain a lower GPA because they have less grade inflation in Canada. But I, something tells me they went to school in the U.S. I mean, we'll, maybe they'll let us know on the post on the website. 
But again, um, I view the Canadian thing as being, it's a little bit bit of a positive in the sense that it differentiates them. But as you say, only in so much as maybe it's part of their story, right? So we'll have to see, you know, I don't know what, you know, for example, we don't know what the foundations that are part of um, are involved in or, you know, whether there's any sort of Canada-specific causes that they support or whatever it might be. Maybe they're like a passionate, um, you know, uh, ice hockey player or, you know, there could be things about, you know, that again, we're stereotyping, but there could be things that they do that are um, uniquely Canadian or whatever. So that, that would, um, that they would bring to the class. Right. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, if they, if they yeah. said they were on the hockey team <laughs> instead of the basketball team, we would have known they're from Canada. Yeah. If they right. said they're on yeah. the ice hockey team, mm-hmm. yeah. not the hockey team, but if they said they're on the ice hockey team, then they could be from anywhere else in the world, I suppose. Oh, fair, but yes. Canadians always call they just it say hockey. hockey. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, all right, so let's move on. I want to thank that person for their post, but let's move on. We have one more post we're going to talk about today. And this, so this is ranking, or sorry, this is uh, Wiretaps candidate number three. But honestly, it's not really a candidate, right? This is um, someone who submitted a rankings wire entry, which for those of you who haven't been paying attention is our newest tool on the website. The idea is that you know anyone can um, create their own ranking based on their criteria. Um, and so this person submitting a ranking, I'm gonna read you the top 10, Alex, and I wanna get your take on what you think. Um, the ranking that they submitted as their top 10 for business schools is Harvard, Wharton, Stanford, Tuck, Yale, MIT, Kellogg, Chicago, Columbia, and rounding out the top 10 is Duke. And they, we have this, the way the tool works is you have to indicate um, what, how you arrived at that. Like what were your kind of factors that you weighed heavily when you were trying to come up with your list. And so for them, um, their factors were brand and reputation, a Northeast location, a close-knit culture, consulting placements, and the alumni network. Those were their five kind of important factors for them. And this candidate um, who did this ranking, the person who submitted this, happens to be an MBA applicant who's probably in the throes of applying and has done their research. And so it's all top of mind. And they are, um, they're located in the US. So Alex, they, when they posted their ranking to RankingsWire, they wondered if we might want to discuss it on the podcast and just because they were curious what we think of this. So what jumps out at you with this ranking? Yeah, I mean, obviously Rankings Wire is, our, like you say, it's our latest tool. It's a bit of fun. It's, I mean, it's interesting, right? How do candidates themselves rank um, the, 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 the programs? Um, and quite frankly, you know, their top 10 isn't bad, Graham. I'm not saying it's great. It isn't bad. <laughs> Yeah. Um, nine of their top 10 belong in the top 10. If you looked at sort of how do you rank school, you know, in, in terms of, of what we think. Um, and, and yeah, some, some might argue that actually they got the, the, they got the, the, the right top 10. Um, what, what's interesting is, and what we're trying to do with rankings, why, is to show the, 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 the sort of determining factors and the influences so, such that each individual candidate should be able to form their own top 10 based on their goals, their issues, what's important to them, and so on and so forth. So that's what I think is really interesting about rankings, why. And for most folks, the number one determining factor becomes brand and reputation. Yeah. So therefore, if that's the determining factor, then we should all have a pretty similar top 10. 
Um, but but so so if you if you discount brand and reputation, then you're starting to look. All right, northeast location is the second most important factor for them. So therefore, you can make an argument as to why they've bumped Wharton up over Stanford. Yeah. Because if you really look at branding and reputation, Harvard, Stanford, and Wharton should be in the top three. Um, and it's generally going to be Harvard, Stanford over Wharton um, for, for a lot of folks. But if you're targeting the Northeast location, okay, I get it. Um, Wharton jumps up above um, Stanford in that, in, in, in that um, um, argument there for this candidate. They've then got Tucker's number four, Graham, yeah. which they've listed close-knit culture as being their third most important factor. Um, we do know that Tuck... You know, again, stereotypically, that's the, the, the school that really reinforces that close-knit culture and certainly in terms of their alumni network and so on and so forth. Um, Tuck is notorious for having a really tight alumni network, et cetera, et cetera. For me, does that put it at number four? I think it might elevate it a little bit, but might leave it at the back end of a top 10 list. But fair play, for them, it's number four. They've got Yale as number five probably for similar reasons. But again, I would argue maybe it should be back in that sort of eight or nine spot. Um, yeah, then they've got Sloan and Kellogg. Then they've got Booth and Columbia. To me, they're your perennial four, five, six, and seven. Yeah. And and and, and they've got Fuqua at number 10. You could argue Fuqua can be a number 10 school. You might argue that Haas would be a number 10 school, but if you want Northeast location, I get why Haas isn't on this list. But I'd also argue, well, and we talked about this before, Graham, so I'm taking away some of your thoughts, but maybe <laughs> Stern, should be, Stern should be up in there yeah. um, for, for that 10 spot. But yeah, interesting, interesting um, ranking, Graham. Yeah, and they, you know, they had that um, emphasis on consulting placement as well. I mean, that came after Northeast location and close-knit culture, but I wondered to what extent... They really combed through um, the consulting placements, and, and maybe some of that's driving this too. But it, it's fun. I mean, this is what we like about it. I mean, you know, you and I have gone on and on about how we really um, think that some of these schools are kind of dead even, and they're in kind of buckets or tiers. And, and so that's why whether MIT, Kellogg, Booth, Columbia, what, what order they're in may be less important because they're, they're quite um, similar in terms of their, um, well, they're all different programs, but they often rank similarly, right? So, and it can be that any one of them is the right program for, for a given candidate based on that candidate's goals. Um, it just was interesting to see, you know, this is what we wanted to happen with this tool is that people can be like, oh, look, I'm really focused on being in the Northeast. And so Wharton's my number two school and, and Tuck and Yale. I mean, those are all Northeast quarter, same with MIT. Um, so they, you know, they're focused on that and that makes sense. Um, I'm sure we'll see other lists where people want to like work in Europe. And so they're going to have LBS and INSEAD towards the top of their list or something, right? So there's going to be different um, ways of, of slicing this. And and again, this is, you know, LiveWire and ApplyWire are kind of serious tools that people use to keep people abreast of where they are in the application process or they want serious feedback on their candidacy. This is a little more fun. Um, I think we just, we want to try to democratize the rankings, let people um, you know, kind of crowdsource and, and just share their thoughts. And we've invited alumni and, and current students to, to use this tool as well. So it, it'll be fun. We'll see how it goes. It's, it's brand new and we only have a handful of entries so far, but it's been fun to see them coming in. Uh, very good, Graham. I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. If you want to, um, you're a mechanical engineer like this candidate, and you want to move into management consulting through the MBA, you want to be in the Northeast, 
um, New York, uh, New York area after um, graduation. Um, and that's all we know about you. What's your top 10? Boy. Um, yeah, I would think that, uh, you know, obviously Harvard and, and Wharton are going to be great at placing at MBB and, and certainly for Northeast. You know, after that, I really think they have mostly the right schools. I would have put Stern on this list um, just because of its, you know, the network in the Northeast. I also, um, I think, you know, they're maybe overlooking a Cornell. Um, you know, one could maybe argue that, you know, that some of the, the Kellogg's and Booth's, maybe, you know, if you really want to be in the Northeast, um, it's hard to say. I mean, those, you know, they're big enough brands that they can place people wherever they want. Um, but, you know, Cornell could be on this list, yeah. you know, so I think they have it mostly right, but it's, you know, obviously we can debate the order, but they've got the right sort of universe of schools. Um, yeah, it's, it's just fascinating because given the constraints that they've, you know, put on this. So very interesting stuff. <laughs> yeah, very good. And I just realized we've gone over 40 minutes, Graham. So let's wrap this thing up. Yeah, we got we to gotta run. Um, so thanks everyone for tuning in as always. And thanks to Alex for picking out these various uh, entries on the wires for us to discuss. We'll be back in one week's time. And please remember to rate, review, and shout from the rooftops how much you love this podcast. Alex, I'll see you in one week's time. Especially if you're still listening after 40 plus minutes, <laughs> you need to review us. Best of luck, everyone. Stay safe.